Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is To the Core, Part 1, Biblical Authority, recorded Sunday, October 24th, 2021. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Scott with today's message. Our church, as Dan said, operates on five core values. We don't, you know, these are like the undercurrent of our church. These are the things that belief the surface should really drive who we are. And now, I know we poked a little fun at that at the introduction, but our core values are crucially important to who we are and what we're doing in this world. And, uh, you know, when Jackie and I were dating in the, in the, in the 1980s, that, is that really the, is it the 80s? Oh, my goodness. When we were dating in the 80s, uh, we communicated primarily in, in three ways. Um, we wrote notes or letters. We talked. Or we talked through someone else and said, tell them this. And uh, I don't think that if my kids would go back and somehow find those embarrassing letters that we wrote to each other, I don't think they'd look at those and like, like put them you know, in some kind of a volume that would sit on their table to, to gaze at from afar. I don't think they would question their reliability. I, I think that they would look at them and they'd probably laugh a little at our goofiness. Uh, they would maybe look at them and say, you know, our parents loved each other even back then. And the things that I hope they would say, the things that they see from us in life today existed then. And I think they would find beauty in them in a weird sort of way, those, those notes, those letters. And I, that's, to me, the way we should see the Bible. It's how we should view the Bible. Uh, the heart of the Bible is the unlimited love of a God who speaks to us. In the last century, with the rise of uh, science, analytics, in a defense by the church, we have sometimes done something that, gives a dis- makes, that, that causes a disservice to the Scripture when we've made it seem like a textbook. The Bible is not a textbook. Uh, now, I would say this. I don't think that people would question the reliability of the Bible if we saw it for what it is. I think what they see is God. They see the unlimited love of God. And and I think all of us long for something that's consistent and true in our life. We need something to go to when life becomes unmanageable or without description of of what's happening in this world. And, And so we need a base. We need a place where God can speak to us. Now, the Bible, as you probably know, but I'll give you the little history lesson. It's very short. The Old Testament of the Bible is how it all started. It's how humankind came into being. It's the story of a nation that God rose up that he would choose to save the world through. And so for thousands of years, he, he, he worked within the confines of this nation, the nation of Israel, to accomplish his purposes. And so you look at the Old Testament, there's 39 books, 17 of those books are history. Um, Next five are poetry, you know, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, books like that. And then the last ones are prophecy, the last 17. And they are telling us mainly what's going to happen when Jesus comes. And that leads us to the New Testament. 
The New Testament is a story about the man that God put in on the earth, the God-man, God himself incarnate on earth who would save us. And so as you know, there's, you may know, there's four books in the New Testament called the Gospels, and they describe primarily the, the ministry of Jesus, his life and ministry. And then there's a singular book, the book of Acts, which we rely on very heavily in our church, which describes the way the church was founded and, and the intention that God had to grow the kingdom of God on earth. And then the rest of the books in the Bible, except for the last one, are books called, they're called epistles, or actually letters that several people wrote to churches to explain further how we should treat each other, what our mes message and mission should be like on earth. And then the last book, the book of Revelation, is a book of prophecy that describes the coming of Jesus once and for all to establish his kingdom for eternity. And so I've been studying the Bible for about 44 years in some sort of way. Sometimes I was serious, sometimes not so much. I've studied the Bible from its original languages, and I've studied it from the viewpoints of many different theologians who are much smarter than I am. I have read through it numerous times, sometimes from cover to cover. Sometimes I pick and choose, and I'll take a book and I read it. I might read it over and over again. I listen to the Bible consistently. I, I, I think I read the Bible about every day, or I hear it, I read it about every day. There might be some days I don't. But here's one of the things that I have learned about the Bible. No matter how much you read it or take it in, it's never easy. Never easy. It's anything but easy. But it's a rhythm. It's a rhythm that that daily alters my life. Now, I like the information of the Bible. I like history, so that intrigues me. I like poetry, believe it or not. I like insight from the one who made us. But here's what I love about the Bible. Here's what I love about it. Here's what brings me back to the Bible. I see him. I see Jesus. I see Jesus in its pages. I hear, him, I hear Jesus' message from cover to cover. I know that he exists. I study the Bible for lots of reasons, but I keep studying it because he continues to speak to me. I see Jesus. And I never get bored with Jesus. Now, my aim today is to show you that God's word should burn brighter in your life than any other messenger that you possibly could hear from. And there's a lot of messengers in our world. Would you agree with me? That the Bible should burn brighter. And by the end of this sermon today, I hope that you will feel more confident to you yourself delving into its word. Now, to do this, I want to take you to a few verses in the 40th chapter of the Old Testament book of Isaiah. To understand why God put these words in the mind and the hand of the people of the Bible, and especially the prophet Isaiah, that requires somewhat of an explanation for you, some history. For 39 chapters in Isaiah, the prophet had been explaining to the nation Israel why they had been decimated why they had been downtrodden, why God took them to the lowest point as a nation they could be. Because at one time, they were 
among the greatest nations on earth. But he had turned them, obliterated them, their, their nation, their city, their temple into rubble. Their families, most of them killed. And those that weren't killed were either left in Jerusalem in rubble or they were taken off into captivity by the Babylonian Empire. They had to walk 900 miles in captivity. And they were slaves. And then in chapter 40, the tables turn. And here's what he says. Verse 1. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So Isaiah is saying that after all these centuries of bad, bad, bad results, it's been paid for. And now it's time to move forward. Something good's going to happen. And, and this is all about the fact that these people had not kept their end of the bargain with God. God always keeps his promises. They had failed. Verse 3, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, that also turns up in the Gospels, if you remember, that it's, it was, those are words that were talked about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus. So it's, that's a prophecy about John. Verse for every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall be, become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So when a prophet speaks, that's God speaking through the prophet. And then it says there's a cry, he's to cry, the voice says cry, and I said, well, what shall I cry? What does that mean? Is that like a, a mourning cry? A, you know, is that a, a, is that a cry of woe? No. No, this is a cry of victory. This is good tidings. This is the crier bringing good news to the people, like we heard this morning. When Isaiah responds with the question, what shall I cry? He is saying, what other good news is there? Which God responds, here it is. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are like grass. The grass withers and the flowers fade. Now, that doesn't really sound like great news to me. It sounds like death to me. Now, here's the good news. But the word of our God will stand forever. The grass. Why is this good news? Again, for hundreds of years, Israel has been slowly shrinking. It, it, at one time, it covered the entire Mediterranean world, basically. Like, the, everything, uh, everything in northern Africa was, was you know, under the, the reign of people like David and Solomon and their kingdoms. But they forgot. They forgot who God is. They, let, they put God to the side, and they stopped letting his word be primary in their life. I want you to imagine you're a Jew who's been taken into captivity, Likely you've just seen the majority of your family, if not all of them, perish from warfare, from famine, from sickness. You have seen the great temple that was built by Solomon reduced to rubble 
and the city around it. And then you were going to walk 900 miles to see a different city, a city in Babylon. You see Babylon's Ashtar Gate. It's a half-mile-long corridor. This is what you would walk up to after being on a long track. You, you, uh, you would see it decorated with golden images of the gods of Babylon. The gate was five stories high. It was painted deep navy blue. It was covered with golden images of their gods. It would have been incredibly, incredibly impressive. As a matter of fact, it would be considered one of the, the wonders of the ancient world. And so how would you not, as you walk from ruin, from destruction into slavery, walk up to that wall and say, these guys' gods got it going on. I'm going to find out about their gods. Because my God, he wasn't much help for me. And then you might be reminded. You might be reminded of a prophecy. Hopefully someone would say these words. All flesh is grass. All its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. So the grandeur and the awe of Babylon, he's saying, will not last. As a matter of fact, the Persians would come in and conquer them in a few years, and they would be reduced to rubble. I I like what uh, the scripture tells us about this. It says that God brings princes to nothing. This is Isaiah 40, verse 23. God brings princes to nothing. He makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely they are planted. Scarcely they are sown. Scarcely has their stem taken root on the earth. And when God blows them, and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. In fact... In just a few decades, that's exactly what happened to these rulers of of Babylon. In other words, it is far too easy for us to be impressed by the world's princes and princesses. You know, their displays of beauty and power. Uh, You know, we think about LeBron and the NBA. We think about whatever politician who has their sway today and whatever political party they belong to. You think about Tom and Gazelle in the NFL. You think about the central billionaire Elon Musk and SpaceX. And you might be tempted to say, hey, whatever they got, I want that. They got it going on. Whose gods do they bow to? maybe Maybe it's them. I don't know. I'm not judging the people. I'm just saying we tend to think that way. We tend to think celebrities. It's important for us to remember that impressive architecture and big budgets and powerful decision makers, they have woo, they have the woo factor. And it's hard not to self-consciously think, their gods must be the real deal. I gotta examine mine. And so we gotta be careful. Someone's worldview can seem much more persuasive when they have slick marketing, they have the media behind them, they're handsome or beautiful people, they have expensive clothes and cars and mansions and, and they have rings on their fingers that show championship acumen, but none of that, none of that is going to survive a puff from God the breath of the Lord, none of it. 
someone's worldview can seem so pervasive. And what God reminds us of in his word is, it withers. So think about your life. Think about the things that you have put into the primary place of your life that, that some people might be able to say, well, that must be their God. That's really what they put their money at. That's where they put all their time. That's where they put their energy. It's more important to them than the God that is worshiped in churches, in Christian churches. It's more important to them. Think about it. I want to remind you, too, that Jesus came into this world not as royalty. I mean, he was born on the outskirts of a little tiny town that nobody even knew existed, probably, at least the power brokers of the day. Uh, He was born in an animal stable, as you know. Uh, He was born to a marginalized couple in discredited circumstances because uh, Mary was pregnant with a child not of the same sire as the man that she was going to marry on earth. And so that would have caused issues for them. He was racially and socially ostracized. He had only three years of ministry where he is mainly misunderstood by, by everyone. He was the enemy of the religious people, and he was misunderstood by the people who liked him the most. As a matter of fact, if you read through the Gospels, I hope you do, and I hope you will, and hope you'll keep doing that, you will see over and over again how even his most loyal followers at one time abandoned him. He was homeless. He died a humiliating, degrading death. He died as a common criminal. He was abandoned by everyone. And so what our world would say is important and valuable, and, you know, you see some of the funerals that happen uh, in the biggest sense, you know, for kings and queens and presidents and, and czars and whoever else, and you say, wow, isn't that something? You know what God says? Gone. The Bible shows us that. The grass withers. The flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. We're talking about the authority of God's word. That's what this message is about. The word. What does it mean, the word of our God? Why doesn't he just say, for instance, well, God will stand forever? Because he will. God's eternal. The focus of the the passage is God's word, because God's word is communication to you and me. That's why it's important. You cannot separate God's word from God himself. You just cannot. Words are not you, but they're an extension of you. So if you say to someone, hey, I'm going to meet you Tuesday at 10 o'clock, that's your word. And if you don't show up, what good is your word? Right? I mean... Whatever you say on social media about other people, that's your word. You can't just say, oh, well, those are just my words that I wrote down. That's not really how I feel. Who are you lying to? You're lying to yourself, first of all, because that's an extension of yourself. Now, the Bible's not equivalent with God. The Bible is not the fourth member of the Trinity. The Bible is revelation. It's the word of God. It's kind of like a last will and testament. You should have one if you don't. If you're an adult, you should have a last will and testament. The last will and testament has certain things in it that describe what, you know, what some of your values are and what you want your values to be in, on the time of your death. It's, that's what the purpose is. It's not you. It's, not, it's just an extension of you. 
just as the Bible is an extension of God to you. He makes promises. He says, flesh will see it together. He says this, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. His promises, his glory revealed. That's what the Bible does. It reveals the promises and glory of a God who loves people and wants to save people. And, and, and by the way, this should sober us and encourage us. It should warn us and encourage us. It should warn us because it reminds us that God's word never changes. God's word, we should never assume that God will change his mind from what his word says. He warns us. You know, Jesus warns us when, of the danger of not heeding his words. He says this in Matthew 7, chapter 7, verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on sand. And then the rain falls, the floods come, and his house crashes. <laughs> It's, it's obliterated in that foolishness. See, Jesus says to us, ignore God's word at your peril. That's a warning. But there should also be encouragement in this. You should be encouraged because God is openly inviting you into his grace and his mercy. And he will follow through with that too. Like, for instance, it says in 1 John, my, my little children... I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's a promise. Here's another one. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's a staggering promise. If, there, if there's ever any circumstance that comes into your life that you can't handle, he is saying, I will back you. I will be with you. I will help you. I will, you will survive this according to Jesus' glory. That's what that means. Is that promise still true? Yes, it is. God's word never changes. There's no expiration date on God's word. Every need will be supplied according to his riches for those who heed his word. Now, as you reflect on what you want, as you consider what difficulties may lie ahead of you, why wouldn't you choose to build your life on the promises of God? Why wouldn't you? I mean, what is currently striving to compete with your heart? What alternative guides have you allowed to enter into your, to speak into your mind? What is striving for your attention? What has become more important than God to you? Is it what others think of you? Is it what your appetites and desires are drawing you to? Is it some shame from your past that you won't trust God with to take you into the future and be separated from that shame? Ask the Lord to search your heart, but do so in the context of his word spoken, his word written. It's a warning and it's encouragement. Be warned, 
God's word does not change. His warnings are not empty threats. And friends, be encouraged. God's word does not change. And his promise of free grace to all is still available if you will respond to him. Now, it was the Holy Spirit who moved the writers of the Old and New Testament to put these words on the page. It was the Holy Spirit who compelled the New Testament prophets and apostles to categorize Jesus' life and show us how the church would be built. It's the Holy Spirit that used willing people, different forms of grammar, different repetitions, different types of typology, different types of writing mechanisms, and, and he communicated to us through them. And consistently throughout, God has communicated the same principle. This is it. Our lives, like grass. Here today, gone tomorrow. Any of you work in your yards this weekend? I mean, you're starting to see it. The grass is getting brown. It's starting to mash down. I mean, I don't know how you feel about fall. One of the things I detest about fall, leaves falling, leaves upon. I got like 400 trees in my yard. Like for the next month, I, like I'm a professional leaf raker and burner. That's what I do, right? And it reminds me. It reminds me of my life. And God speaks to me in that. And he says, God, remember, you're temporary. You're te- in this life, it's short. You got to be ready for what's coming. And I prepared a way for you. The word of the Lord stands forever. Follow me. Listen to me. Learn from me. The word of the Lord is found in God's scriptures. The word is seen in the flesh of Jesus Christ. The word of the Father became flesh and lived in our midst. The eternal Son of God, eternally abiding in the reality of this world, in a world that that he came into to bring everlasting life to those who would call him Lord. So let's read it. Let's mark it up. Let's take it to heart. And when we forget to open it, let's remember to again. And let's do whatever we can to hear God speak. And whatever we can to know Jesus We know Jesus because God spoke Jesus. He spoke him in the pages of your Bible, and he spoke him literally in the man himself, the God-man Jesus who came to save us. Lord, as we come to this moment of communion where we bring together these elements, the bread and the cup, this is another reminder of you speaking to us. And you even use symbols like this. You use emblems like this to speak to us to speak to us about our sin that wrecks our lives. And you give us a place and a time where we can confess those sins before you, before your throne. And then you speak to us when we take that bread and we eat it and, we, and the senses come alive with the taste and the flavor of that bread. And then we drink the cup and we tip our head back as a nod up to you, thanking you for what you've done to save us the message of the scripture from page to page and cover to cover. A God who loves his people and will save them. And so we celebrate that in this moment. In the name of Jesus, the word of God made flesh. Amen. So there's a really important reason why we are starting this series with this topic, the authority of God's word. Because everything we say from here is going to come from there. 
And, and I'm, just, I'm, I'm just telling you, they're, they're, you listen to all kinds of people and you, you, know, you, you admire and revel their voices. And, and oftentimes what they're doing is they're just telling you what you want to hear because they get something from that. They benefit from it. God will never do that to you, never. That's why when you read the scripture, it's so hard. That why sometimes you feel guilty, because you should. Because you're doing something that you know is a breach between you and the one who made you. That's why sometimes you read those Old Testament passages and, and you see things that, you know, that they just blow your mind. Like, how could God let, or how could God do? Well, he's not going to lie to you about stuff. He's going to tell you how it really is. When sin came into this world, it screwed it up. And when sin comes into your world, it screws you up. The word of God is the foundation. It's where we start to understand God. It's clear from God. Here's what I want to challenge you to do as we begin this series. If you're already in a good pattern of, of uh, having God's word speak to you, keep it up. I'm not going to ask you to change anything unless you need to. But there are tools at your disposal that, that can get you started if you're not. Something called, we call rhythms that we initiated a few weeks ago. It's very simple. You go to our app and there's a button called rhythms. And you go on there and it'll walk you through day after day a simple rhythm of having God's word infiltrate your life and penetrate your heart. Very simple. And it'll change your life if you're not doing anything like that. Uh, we have Bible studies here. We have life Bible studies that are very deep. And so if you're, if you're looking for depth in your study, that's a place you can go. We have, we have Rooted, which is a great starting point for anyone who's trying to get their life on track with God's word in their life. We have small groups. Small groups that allow you to have a community of people where you can open up God's word together and grow together. And of course, come to these services because we're gonna teach from God's word. But I always encourage you, and I always will, to not just take the words that are spoken here, but now go back, you've got Isaiah 40, it's in your Bible. Everyone has it if you have a Bible. Go back and read that chapter today. And then listen, say, God, is there something here you want me to see or hear that maybe I missed or maybe wasn't said? because I want to know you, and I want to know Jesus. It'll change your life, because it's core. It's a core value. It's core, but only if you let it be. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10.15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org, call us at 308-384-5038, or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.